Welcome, Iowa innovators, educators, entrepreneurs, ecosystem builders, and anyone interested in finding fresh ways of doing the work they do right here in Iowa. NubaCo is excited to bring you the Iowa Innovation Podcast, where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. Today, we're talking with Keith Dalby, software architect at NubaCo and diversity in technology in the state of Iowa. Keith has a pretty wide-ranging experience in programming, teaching, but he's also a fantastic euchre player. And as Jen and I both already know, he has all kinds of opinions. So let's hear about him today. Let's innovate, Iowa. This podcast is sponsored by Nymaster Good, Iowa's largest law firm with offices in Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, and Ames. Nymaster's cutting-edge, positive legal approach has helped businesses of all sizes succeed for more than 100 years. With more than 70 practice areas, Nymaster has attorneys with expertise in all areas of the law, including corporate structure, capital raising, intellectual property protection, tax planning, employee benefits, labor and employment law, government relations, and litigation. Today, we'll be talking with Keith Dalby about the importance of diversity and inclusion in a tech workspace. It's a big topic to dive into, especially for companies and startups that are building out a team. But whenever you have questions about labor and employment, Nymaster Good is there for you. For the smallest startup to the largest manufacturer and really every business in between, Nymaster offers a full range of employment services for prevention, planning, dispute resolution, any legal employment matter, or really if you just have questions. Nymaster's labor and employment attorneys provide effective, cost-efficient representation. Visit Nymaster.com. That's nyemaster.com to learn what Nymaster Good can do for you. Keith, well, thank you for being here today. It is a pleasure to have you in our studio. Glad to be here. Do not let his soft-spoken voice confuse you. This is a rabid technologist we have here in the studio today. Am I wrong, Rob? You are not wrong. (laughs) I actually got to work with Keith quite a bit when we did a documentary on Delta V Mm -hmm. like a a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So I got to follow Keith around a whole lot. We had him (laughs) mic'd up, you know, and I uh, and so I I have somewhere on one of my hard drives hours and hours of uncensored rants by Keith in the classroom. And they are they are amazing. Uh, They're priceless. But uh, no, Keith's an amazing (laughs) teacher and. And although I have never actually been in a class taught by Keith, I have observed many classes that were taught by Keith. And uh, and actually, it's his his brain is a whole lot of fun to pick. Yeah, you know. And when I first met Keith, it was interesting because he could not remember who I was, could not remember my name to save his life. That the person I was seeing at the time had to reintroduce me every time. What was that about, Keith? At some point, it became a joke, and I couldn't tell you when that was. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I, I still wonder if he knows my name some days. I, I, but. I, 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 we had interacted for a couple of years before that even, yeah. and I didn't make that connection yeah. for several years. I'm just, there are things that I'm good at. Yes. Uh, and there are many things that I yes. am not. Yes, yeah. So we'll, we will investigate today a few of those things that you are really good at, though. As you know, you know, we jump on this podcast to talk about innovation and education and tech and all the fun things that are going on in the state of Iowa. But there's also some, you know, some some goods and bads that come with that. And so today 
we really want to dive into this topic of um, diversity in technology. And I am just going to to clear this right out of the bat. I am a white woman sitting here with two white men to talk about diversity in technology in the state of Iowa. So with that positioning, <laughs> Rob, do you want to add anything? <laughs> I yeah, because I am an expert on this topic, and I will I will be happy to elaborate for the... No, I, I, I am not an expert on this topic. Yeah. I'm learning just like hopefully everybody who's listening. Yeah. Although, Keith, I think that you've been working with Mike on, on some diversity. You've basically been studying uh, and bringing a lot of information back to the rest of the team in order to help with a lot of those diversity and inclusion efforts. Yeah, the... Goodness, where to start? So... Um, so like my path into technology was uh, my dad taught technology. My dad taught computer science. Um, you know, he brought home computers from work and I got to play with them. I got to teach him how to use them. Uh, and so there was never any doubt that I was going to be a programmer. There was never any doubt. Like my path was set for me. And so uh, combining that with just being largely the default person in technology, um, you know, as, as a, <laughs> as a young white guy coming out of college. Um, so I was, you know, largely oblivious, I think, to the experience that everybody else was having until I started just listening to other people, listening to the women in the engineering program who were like, oh yeah, this is mm -hmm. not a great experience. It's not a welcoming experience. Whole lot of jokes about you're here yeah. to find a guy in the college of engineering. Oh. And ironically, my wife did, but... <laughs> <laughs> but she's was, also in technology. She's she's she, yeah, and so she's also also in te in technology and very patient with me. Mm -hmm. um, but she she's had so many experiences in college in her first you know you know first job out of college um, with engineers that just didn't realize that uh, what they were saying was mm -hmm. not maybe appropriate for. Uh, this this an environment for making a welcoming environment yeah. making an inclusive environment uh you know we had a kid and then she was like all right well i'd like to you know kind of go back to work part-time and just kind of ease back into it and so they didn't give her the work that she had been doing they shifted her to mm -hmm. different responsibilities yeah. uh that i mean she was very capable but not you know not, i mean she wanted to be doing what she had been doing and so it's just um i don't know the, the experience that guys like me have is just so drastically different from the experience that nearly every not youngish white guy that I've talked to, mm -hmm. everyone has the story of, Oh, you're not technical enough. Oh, you're, uh, you're, you're still, you're still too junior. You're, mm -hmm. you know, the experience that you've had, um, it, it just, it just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps mm -hmm. coming. And if I didn't immerse myself in listening to diverse voices in that mm -hmm. community, yeah, I, I, I would still have no idea because people don't treat me mm -hmm. like they treat other people, which yeah. is kind of a universal thing that some people yeah. get to experience. Yeah. But everybody else doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting just listening to you talk about um, your wife's experience and being pregnant and coming back and kind of be, basically being marginalized at that point. 100%. Oh, you're a woman, chose to have a kid. Hmm. Okay. Go sit here and play, you know, in the corner. And it was interesting because my experience in a different sector was completely different. I got promoted while I was on maternity leave. 
you know, and I was just I was in just in a leadership position, managed doing some kind of quasi program management kind of work. And while I was out, my boss came to me and said, hey, we're going to make two leaders on our team. Would you be one of them? I was like, well, sure. You know, and my ex-husband made the joke. He's like, well, God, if you'd been out, you know, I was out for four months with my son for a lot of reasons. And if you were out six months, would you have been like made vice president? Like what, you know, how, how long could we have milked <laughs> how long this? Can we stretch, you know? stretch this out? And it's, it is always interesting to me as a woman, because I, I did not expect, I didn't, I didn't consciously experience work life as a woman, like having that real perception of it coming into the workforce. I went right into the military. It was a very different kind of environment. And then I just rolled with that attitude out of it. it did not matter that I was a woman. And I've come to understand that women in technology do not have that ki- same kind of experience. People of color in technology do not have that same kind of experience. And it's been eye-opening. Well, and, and it's not universal. <laughs> and, um, you know, I have, uh, you know, I mean, I have a variety of, you know, I've, I've got a friend down in Dallas who uh, is very outspoken about saying, I don't want to talk about being a woman in technology. Mm-hmm. I just want to be... Mm-hmm. a technologist and she's largely worked at welcoming inclusive companies and has always felt like part of a team. And so she, you know, so if you were to say, all right, tell me about all the ways that you've been marginalized, she would say, well, I haven't because I work with great people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not a entirely universal experience, but it's something that you need yeah. to keep in mind um, in, you know, in how you choose to interact with folks. And yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, there are the big aggressive ways of saying, yeah, I mean, there, there are lots of inter- you know, lots of obviously, but but then I mean, you know, that's where microaggressions come into play. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh, like you know, are you technical enough? Or oh, well, why don't you take notes because you've got the prettiest handwriting? <laughs> um, which favorite. just, I mean, like that just that kind of stuff just builds and builds and builds, Absolutely. and and eventually, I mean, you know, who knows what the what the breaking point is? Yeah. Um, you know, a, a number of my students are, are are women who have then gone out into the field, and you know, they'll just come back to me as you know. Keith, am I being unreasonable? Am I being too emotional? Mm-hmm. Zero times has a guy that graduated from our program come yes. back to me and said, am I being too emotional? Right. You know, you bring up a, a good point that uh, a lot of guys that I talk to, whenever diversity gets brought up, they'll say, hey, I am all for the best person getting the job. I don't discriminate against mm-hmm. anybody. And, you know, I, I, I don't understand uh, why this is a big deal because I personally don't discriminate. And it's it's very clear when you talk to um, if you, when you talk to people in the tech sector who are not straight white men, they will still voice a whole lot of concerns, which means that guys just being like, "Hey, personally, I think everything's great, so I have there's nothing that I need to do." That's clearly not enough. Um, based on both your experiences uh, in the industry as well as some of the the training you've been taking part in lately, what are some things that like that straight white men who currently dominate the tech sector, what do they need to be doing in order to actively help to make the environment a more inclusive and welcoming one rather than just sitting back and going, what, I'm going to treat everybody equally, so there's nothing I need to do. Obviously, there is something we need to do, but what in your perspective is that? So two things. Um, So first, I would say just listen. Um. And you can listen to people, you know, listen to those around you. And if those around you aren't representative of the world around them, then find ways to kind of ex- expand your bubble. Um, you know, you know. So I, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. I am far too online. Um, but I go out of my way to follow every non-white guy in tech that I can find. Not that I am deliberately 
excluding white men from that scope. But I already follow dozens, probably hundreds. But expanding that into other just I just want to hear like what do they have to say what are they experiencing and it's it's sad mm-hmm. just I mean just you know the, the kinds of stuff that, that they'll that they'll amplify and whatnot are just not things that come into my sphere if I had only followed a certain segment of the population so one is just listening and, and aggressively listening outside of the bubble in which you know in which you gravitate gravitate to. If you went back in my history and looked at who are the first twenty people that Keith followed on Twitter, they're all going to be my wife and white men. <laughs> I think probably my dad, who I guess is a white. But yeah, so like like just very early on, I had a very homogenous initial exposure in building out that audience and it's only in kind of going out of my way to expand that have i you know brought you know kind of more diverse perspectives in um and then two is just making space for those people in spaces that that space isn't available to them um and and, you know and I have to be particularly conscious of that. I am very outspoken. I'm eager to weigh in on just about anything. Um, and it's not that I'm unwilling to listen, but if there's, you know, if someone asks, or asks a question and I feel like I have an answer, then I am inclined to share that answer, all things being equal. Uh, and anyone who feels marginalized, and it might just be a shy person in general, but other folks who just, you know, f- you know feeling marginalized, feeling unwelcome, won't necessarily volunteer if there are more dominant, if there are more, you know, if there are less marginalized folks who are speaking up. And so just trying to be conscious about making space for other folks to come in, have it, you know, have a say, finding, finding ways to amplify those voices. Um, Those are the main things is I'm just trying to, trying to step out of the way and just kind of, Hey, here are other people doing good work. It's not just folks like me. You know, I wanted to ask, because you've, you've talked a lot about the people side of it, and I think Rob's question was great, kind of on the organizational side or even just awareness side as people trying to create inclusive communities. But there's a technical aspect to this as well. Um, I listened to a podcast not that long ago, and it's called um, Break Concrete, and it's um, Black Women at Work is the, the premise. And what this particular episode focused on was um, how we are writing diversity out of code. And how we are, um, you know, creating, she mentioned examples, you know, simple things like the way we do drop down boxes or the way we account for experience or, um, you know, these different aspects that can literally, as you're writing it, eliminate options for people. And I thought that that was so interesting. It was some, you know, I, I have always viewed code as very neutral, it's, it's just, it's letters and numbers, right? There's, what could you possibly do with that? But it's Programmers a language. Programmers love to believe that. Right? It's a language and you're communicating with it. Well, and the, the language itself tends to be pretty neutral. But mm. as soon as you start adding what people choose to build with the technologies, mm-hmm. that's where things start to get. And so, and so, you know, it's a gray area. On one hand, there's the simple examples of, all right, so addresses... Like programmers say two things, like internationalization, like addresses and calendars, which is the worst. <laughs> so, so internationalization. All right. We need to put a form on the website to ask for somebody's address. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've got like address line one, optional line two, city, state, zip. Right. But now All I'm right. in France. <laughs> well, now I'm in France. All right. So zip is 
an American name mm-hmm. for what other places call just a postal code. All right, well, let's rename it postal code. Right. All right, well, then we'll add a drop down for country. Yeah. All right, now, oh, but we're validating the postal code because we want it to be a five or a five plus nine. All right, mm-hmm. well, now, all right, let's add extra rules because <laughs> Canada's look different. Oh, but the field is still required. Well, some places don't have postal codes. Mm. And so as you expand your reach and as you expand your reach, I used to work in e-commerce and the rule of e-commerce is you will take anybody's money as long as it doesn't violate like (laughs) export laws. So I will take anybody's money. But if I literally can't fill out the field because I don't have a postal code, Mm. what am I supposed to put in? Just an X? Like, all right. Now we're going to validate setting up a user account. Right. All right, your name has to have at least three characters. So if your last name is Lou, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can't fill out the field. Like just right. like if most of the people have a postal code, it's easy to just build because oh, well, we want our, we want to have good data, so postal code should be required. Yeah. Well, making that vary by country is hard. Yeah. So we're just going to do the easy thing. Uh, you know, and that extends to, you know, so like, you know, uh, accessibility to a global community, mm-hmm. accessibility to, uh, you know, from a like physical addresses, from a just culturally mm-hmm. short names are a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, some people have literally changed their first name to like a B. Right. All right. Well, if that's your name, that's your name. And we should accept that name. So right. you're trying to be clever. Well, I don't want people to put in crap data. But also you're excluding legit data. So how do you balance those kinds of things? Um, and then, you know, shifting into true, ex- you know, kind of accessibility as most of the community feel, you know, perceives it as, you know, is this accessible to folks using screen readers, to folks who are colorblind, to folks who are using older devices? Mm-hmm. You know, you land on this beautiful web page and the first thing you see is this gigantic image. It's a really high quality image. It looks amazing on the latest iPhone. <laughs> and that literally just used up a month's of internet budget if you right. hit that from somewhere in Africa right. or anywhere where bandwidth is expensive. And mm-hmm. so all of these things are things that it's just technology. It's just a web page. I just put an image tag on or a background yeah. or whatever. The technology, mostly neutral there. It's yeah. giving you capabilities. But how do you account for folks with very expensive bandwidth? How do you, like <clears throat> on and on and on and on. There are just so many of these examples that... As a default person from the Midwest, I don't have to think about these things. Yeah. And we call that privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I know that you have not lived in Iowa your whole life. Correct. Yes, you are a, a boomerang. I'm a boomerang. We've decided a boomerang, which means you started somewhere, you left, and then you came back. See, I thought that was some weird play on boomer, and I was like, I don't think Keith's a boomer. <laughs> he just acts like it. Um. <laughs> okay, boomerang. <laughs> no, so, you know, it's and, – and I just – I find that fascinating because I'm someone who's moved around a lot and I've seen the differences and the way that just the local cultures interact with different, um, different races, different belief systems, different, what haves you, what have you's English is hard. Um, so when you think about those experiences you've had, what did you observe when you were not in our state that you wish our state would do that other places you've been are doing well? So, so coming out of, so I, I reflect, you know, as I think about, um, I mean, a lot of like inclusion of those kinds of things, I think back to high school, mm. I had an entirely white friend group, you know, so I went to Urbandale, yeah. 
Yeah. Very, very small minority population. They were there. But it was like it wasn't part of you know not large participants in the in the extracurricular stuff that I did you know the musics and all that kind of stuff. It was just a bunch of a bunch of white kids, and it di- it didn't bother me at the time. You know, there's good gender mix, a lot of socioeconomic mix. Although in retrospect, probably less of that mix than I would have realized because sure. instruments are expensive, travel is expensive, costumes and uniforms and all that mm-hmm. stuff are expensive. Yeah. So what kids were being excluded from that didn't occur to me at all yep. uh, as I was growing up. But we did have a large Bosnian immigrant population. Mm. And, you know, those kids mostly hung out together because they spoke their languages, a lot of English language learners, all those kinds of things. Not part of my interaction. Um, You know, I took Spanish when I was in high school and there was a reasonable Hispanic population. But we didn't interact other than maybe like, well, let's bring a native speaker in to just practice with a little bit. But I didn't have any friends that were you know, in those kind of, you know, you know, cross-cultural groups. Then I went to Iowa State, which was just a dramatic shift. And yes, you know, still a, a large population of native Iowans, um, it, you know, with, with, you know, and with that kind of the, 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 the average demographics, you know, lots of ag students from rural areas, even more kind of homogenous demographics uh, of the college-bound kids there. Uh, but then there were a lot of international students, a lot of students from out of state, a lot of students. And so, um yeah, I mean, I guess to uh, largely to my parents' credit, it didn't strike me as odd or unusual at all to just be around people who were less like me than I was used to, sure. um, which awesome. But I just kind of got used to that. Then going out, you know, out, you know, spending time in a university, and then I pivoted straight from there out to living living in Seattle area, uh, working at Microsoft, working with a very diverse mm-hmm. population. Microsoft has historically done better than the industry right. average at attracting um, and retaining uh, a more diverse uh, workforce. Um, and so it just felt kind of natural to me um, kind of having that progression from a very homogenous community and homogenous friend group and homogenous church experience and all of those kinds of things. And then kind of extrapolating that up through, you know, just kind of gradually, you know, more, more exposure to that in university, more exposure to that, uh, when I left the state. And then when I come back now, I have a lot more life experience behind me and just more just general awareness of the things that folks not like me, mm-hmm. you know, tend to deal with. Um, and so it's just you know that just coming back then to Iowa with that additional lens, uh, you know, because professionally, largely homogenous experiences, right. um, again, and and you know, and there are you know lots of you know homogenous in in certain ways, um, and I mean I think a lot of folks have that experience that most of the people they work with are usually like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that's just self-selection. Some of that's bias. It's really hard to say. Yeah. You know, Rob had referenced earlier, you know, hiring the right person for the job. We want to hire the best person for the job. Mm-hmm. What are the criteria that go into that? Yeah. Uh, you know, who are the who are the candidates we're not even considering? Right. Because the opportunity wasn't even presented to them. Who are the people <clears throat> who? Oh well, it never occurred to me to go into tech. I have always known mm-hmm. that tech was going to be the thing that I probably ended up doing because right. I was exposed to it early, mm-hmm. you know, relatively gifted in it, all those kinds of things. But there's so many kids who are just like, oh, well, if I want to do well, like I need to be an athlete or mm-hmm. my fate tends to go a different direction. Yeah, That's not an experience that I ever had. It was never a doubt that I was going to go to college. Yeah. It's just like it's a thing that 
that we do. Yeah. And that's a foreign experience to a whole lot of kids. This whole like first generation college student. I was like, yeah. huh. Huh. <laughs> like, good good for them. Never even occurred to me until yeah. I was like actually thought about it that there are kids that haven't grown up in this environment that I did. You know, it's along those same lines that I know we've talked about this within the Delta V coding school a few times, but the idea that when you bring a lot more diverse voices into coding and technology, as a result, a lot of products or software also gets brainstormed that... Um, because someone's coming from this community, they're like, hey, I know a lot of people who would need this thing. And, you know, a big group of white programmers aren't even going to think of that. They're not even going to think, oh, gosh, we should make an app or a program that addresses this need. But when you get a lot of voices in the same room, all of a sudden these ideas are getting thrown out that other people wouldn't have thought of. And so the public in general benefits because suddenly there's all of these products being released that cater to populations that haven't previously had products aimed at them. Um, and I, I don't know if, if you can kind of elaborate that just based on your own experiences within either the coding school or within coding in general, but if examples of where you've seen that happen, where you've seen uh, something get brainstormed or created because somebody was in the room that recognized a need that the rest of the people in the room would never have even thought of. So one of the things that programmers love to do is just scratch their own itch, and so uh, you know, so the uh, you know, so so I am most internet famous for a little side project that I started twelve years ago now, and I was just like, huh, I'm annoyed with this thing on my computer. So I found a couple blog posts of people who had started to to make the problem better, and I just kind of put them together, polished it up a little bit, figured out how to install it and just put it up there and shared it with my 17 Twitter followers. I was like, <laughs> here's the thing that I'm using. Uh, let me know if, uh, if it's useful for you. And then they shared it with some of their friends and they shared it with some of their friends. And eventually it turned into, I mean, you know, millions of downloads used by like people all over the world, uh, that I, I just was trying to make my life easier. Um, and, you know, like my, my, my interest and in, in efforts on that project have kind of ebbed and flowed over the years because largely it's, it remains a, if something is annoying to me, I will fix it in the product. But if it's annoying to somebody else, you know, that's, th then it shifts into kind of I'm volunteer labor to maintain this thing to make other people's lives easier in a way that doesn't affect me, um, which shifts into a whole like open source and maintainership, which we don't need to go into. Uh, but that project started from scratching my own itch and uh, solving my own problem. Um, and a good chunk of, the, especially kind of the free software out there is people who are just like, all right, well, I would like, I would like this problem solved that has never been solved, or I would like it solved in a way that's appropriate for me. And so as you start to get deaf and hard of hearing programmers involved in whatever, mm -hmm. blind programmers and, 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 and you know, vision impaired folks. They're going to come up with, you know, they're going to find different edges where things break down. Well, what if we tried this? What if we tried that? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the examples are too many to name. Uh, and it's only by getting folks into, um, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, you know, Women are going to think, you know, women deal with things, is, you know, you know, so you've got a, you've got a, a, a mom at home who's nursing. All right. So let's track the schedule and, you know, timing for the feedings and all that kind of stuff. Who came up with the idea for that app? Probably wasn't a guy in his 20s who's never had any experience with those kinds of things. 
And so if that's where the genesis of our ideas, you know, are coming from, um, you know, we're just, we're, we're missing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that one of the, you know, from, from an Iowa angle, I think one of the challenges that like the Silicon Valley or, or like the New York or the, like the big venture capital communities tend to be looking for, I want to fund a technologist's solution to a technologist's problem. And so we're throwing just gobs and gobs of money at Web3 stuff that's a waste of time, gobs and gobs of money at developer tools and this and that and the other. Fine. You invest in what you know, whatever. But there's just so much wealth that's been built out of building these tools that really don't, most of them don't get valuable because I just got a lot more developers to use it. It's because, all right, so, you know, Pinterest or Instagram or whatever, like it's, reaching out into other markets and serving other markets problems. But a lot of that wealth then gets focused back into folks who are really just, I'm just a geek who stumbled on a good idea mm-hmm. and hired people to help me kind of leverage that into, into a bigger and bigger thing. When you look at somewhere like Iowa that's trying to compete with, how do we attract folks to come start a business here? Mm-hmm. When you could just say, all right, well, go to Silicon Valley. It's easier to get money but only for certain kinds of problems. And so it's easier for us here not being the, you know, just overwhelmed by, I mean, I mean, like VCs out, out on the coast, like they're just overwhelmed. And a good chunk of that is folks pitching what tends to get funded. And what tends to get funded is what has gotten funded previously. And so I think it's easier for us through the Iowa Startup Accelerator and, you know, ISA Ventures and all sorts of uh, I, you know, kind of Iowa regional Midwest, just not big urban centers, frankly, it's easier for those. All right. So what are the niches that we can carve out for ag tech, for ed tech, for, mm-hmm. uh, for the things that aren't, you know, you know, who are the moms that we can support? Just, Hey, let's just try to build more solutions for mom problems, uh, mom problems, parent problems. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, the, I think one of the ways that Iowa can, continue to make strides in advancing innovation, advancing technology access in general is what are the problems we can solve that other markets don't seem to be interested in solving? It's not that there aren't moms in Silicon Valley, but they're certainly not at the table talking with the venture capitalists most of the time. One of the things that you do at Nuboco, or maybe maybe I should say this is your primary role really right now, a software architect, and you work with then a lot of small businesses, right? Startup style businesses. And they may not be at that infant stage, but they are developing. And you do a lot of that technology work for them, helping them design that solution for that idea that they've come up with. What are some of the things that, <clears throat> when we think about this through a, a diversity lens, what are some of the things that... Um, you can do as a software architect to help to help them um, kind of set their their software and their organization up to really embrace this idea of diversity and serving that diverse customer. How do you handle some of those conversations and solutions? Uh, yeah, I mean, from an architecture standpoint, it's mostly just let's not paint ourselves into corners. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's not. Uh, uh, let's not build a solution that's not going to be able to expand to, you know, reach global markets or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of you know, you know, my other kind of primary role in all of these projects is really just helping them learn how to build a product in the first place. Um, 
And so a lot of that just comes down to talking to customers. You know, we, we optimize our, our development process for, all right, what we want to do as little as we can to get something in front of the customers so that we can have a real conversation about, all right, this is how we think we can solve this problem. Does it actually solve a problem that you have? What are the limitations of that? All that kind of stuff. So much software gets built because the developer thinks it's a good idea, because somebody who wants to fund it thinks it's a good idea and the disconnect there between the resources and the actual need uh is is very often not not aligned uh and so yeah so a lot of it's just you know what are the what are the current markets but then also who are the you know thinking about the people that you haven't even shown this to yet uh oh you've built a thing well what if we put it in front of educators right is there anything that educators could pull out of this same sort of tool? Uh, and there are so many companies that end up pivoting because, well, I'm going to start focused on this particular segment. But the more I talk to them, the more I realize that, yeah, maybe it's a problem, but they're not going to spend money on this. Mm-hmm. But people over here, they do have money. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe this is a problem. That, this is a solution that actually would work well for educators. But individual educators tend not to buy this software. So now we need to right. pivot our, our go-to-market strategy to talk to, Is are we talking to principals? Are we talking to school boards? Are we talking to state departments of education? Right. Trying to sell this as a, hey, you should have your whole state adopt this kind of technology. Um, so a lot of it's just kind of keeping an open mind and just assuming that you don't have all the answers. Yeah. You know, there's... there's uh, a, a strong and, and the way that we talk about the most successful entrepreneurs is, oh, well, this was just a visionary. Like, no, like n- <laughs> n- none of this. I, I mean, Obama got a hard time years ago for you didn't build that because he was talking about like public infrastructure. You know, your stuff got shipped out on public roads. Right. But even within the you know, it's not like Bill Gates built Microsoft as what is now a two trillion dollar company. Right. Like he attracted people that shared the vision and expanded into this and expanded into that. And then a little like side trip into monopolies and then, but largely they've shifted back. And, uh, but I mean, it's, it's a collaborative effort. And so the more folks that you can kind of bring to the table and just, I don't know, the, 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 the more experiences you bring, you bring into those conversations, the more likely it is that someone's going to say, huh, what about this? What about that? Um, you know, and we've, we've talked a lot about innovation without actually using the word innovation today. Um, because what you, you know, I, I teach our entrepreneurs, right, which are the, the corporate innovator, entrepreneurial mindset people that thrive within our corporations. And um, what I find interesting about that is it is often, you know, here's this problem we have that we have this kind of solution for, but we can make it better. That's an innovation. And instead, what people tend to think about is is what you're talking about. The idea we get is it's got to be this visionary, transformative, insane new thing that nobody's ever heard of before. And that's not necessary. And, and I think that remembering that is so key, whether we're talking about technology or education or hiring people or interviewing processes, which I know is a whole other podcast we could do with you, mm-hmm. um, you know, but really looking at these different ideas um, and thinking, how can I make this better? How can I evolve this forward? That's also a form of innovation. Yeah. And that's really where where I see the state of Iowa today is we're trying to evolve forward when it comes to our workforce and diversity and the way that we are inclusive and the way that we set standards and, and all of these things. I see that happening in this state. 
And I think a lot of the things that you talked about today, um, you know, start to get us there. They start to progress us forward. So one thing I would add in terms of Iowa's strategy for innovation is we we can't just assume that innovation has to come from someone's just going to start a business and it's going to explode into mm. this billion dollar unicorn. Mm-hmm. You know, innovation happens with a hundred businesses that have 10,000 customers. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we don't have to go for a home run. We don't have to try to invest because we're trying to get 100 X returns from an IPO. It's incremental change. It's just, here's just a small business that's solving, solving a niche problem. Here's another small business that's helping with the problem that they discovered in another angle. You know, it, it, it tends to build on each other uh, n- rather than trying to just look for the, oh, well, we're looking for the big company that's just going to come in. It's getting, you know, we need to attract companies from, you know, that's another thing that a lot of states, you know, like Iowa would try to do. We were trying to, we're trying to attract some business to build their next factory here. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, yeah, so that'll bring in some jobs and jobs are good. But at the end of the day, like mm-hmm. real growth and real prosperity doesn't come from, well, we're just going to import and have another Facebook location in Iowa. Right. What are the ideas that Iowans have that solve the problems that Iowans experience yeah. uh, that can turn into something that resonates with a larger market? Yeah. I'd love to see more focus on that yeah. rather than, oh, well, let's just throw hundreds of millions of dollars in tax incentives yeah. to these companies that like I, I, I don't that that strategy doesn't resonate with at all with me. Uh, you know, we should invest in in Iowans, um, and we should try to attract people to Iowa mm-hmm. with our good schools mm-hmm. and uh, kind of track record of you know family values. You know, I had always you know, we talked about boomeranging. Yeah, I boomeranged out. The plan was always to end up back in Iowa yeah. when we had kids closer to family, all that kind of stuff. That was always the plan. There are whole lots of folks where kind of returning to that community is an important piece of their kind of long-term plans. You know, what are the things that we can do at the state level to not discourage people from yes. boomeranging back uh, and then attracting other folks? You know, yeah. you know Nuboco has a lot of, uh, a lot of boomerangs, mm-hmm. uh, has I think one person who never left. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yep. <laughs> uh, so we've got a lot of boomerangs. And then we've yeah. got a lot of folks, you know, came in from Minnesota, came in from Ohio, came from, you know, came in from a variety of places. Uh, what are the things that we can continue to do to attract those folks mm-hmm. um, to Iowa as a, as a place to be innovative? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a great point. So, and you, you remind me of something. Um, Rob, do you remember what my biggest pet peeve is? This is a quiz. Let's see how well my podcast partner knows me. Being late. Nope. It's when you take the time to listen to somebody and invest in learning and then you just put it away and you don't do anything with it. That drives me crazy. That is one of my biggest pet peeves. Or even worse, you walk away and you're like, what the hell do I do with that? (laughs) I feel like there's something, but I don't know what it is. So, you know, we just spent the last 30 minutes or so talking about innovation and technology and the state of Iowa and your experiences. And so what I want to do is really try to, to pull out a few of the points that really resonated today that people can actually think about how to take action with. So I'm going to toss it to you, Rob. What is one of your key takeaways from today? I, I well, honestly, the one that's it's probably the one I, that Keith was just mentioning, the idea that we need to stop worrying so much about, well, we need to, we need to focus on bringing people here, promoting the industry that's here, that there is a lot that Iowa has going for it, and we don't need to think, oh, you know, we, we've got to 
that, that the ideas aren't here and that the people aren't here. Um, I like the idea of also you were, you were, you were talking about um, the different apps that, that come out that, um, that people who their life experience informs what they create. And so the more diverse voices that you bring in to do that, uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really good point. That's the one that, that really sticks with me. Mm-hmm. And um, and then kind of going all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation, the things that all of us can do to more actively expose ourselves to other perspectives, um, that it's not enough to just say, um, oh, you know, I, I, I treat everybody equally, so I'm good. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to actively work to expand your horizons and 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 do more to hear perspectives other than your own. Uh, I think all those are, are points that, that are sticking very strongly with me today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, what I heard, what I heard that really stick with me was the idea that, you know, have conversations with people who don't look like you. And, and, and you made the point, I think really, really well that often we are in environments where when we look around, everybody tends to look like us. And so even doing something as simple as follow different voices on Twitter, Go out on LinkedIn and make connections with people that um, are in, you know, slightly different industries or that have different experiences and learn their stories and really make those connections. I can't tell you how many diversity panels I've sat on where that kind of advice comes forward and yet people still struggle with it and, and struggle with it for a variety of reasons, but we still struggle with it. So... I think it's, you know, there's if, if we boil those down, it's, you know, talk to different people. It's believe that your idea is not too small and that it is valid. And if it's your problem, there's a decent chance someone else has this problem. Um, and to not rely on the home run, but remember that lesson we all got in first grade that get on base. That's all you got to do is get on base. It can be a, a first one, you know, a, a one base hit. I'm a, clearly not a baseball person. So... <laughs> A single. And I, a, single, a single, thank you. My kid plays soccer in my defense. <laughs> it's cheaper. Just need a ball. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, Keith, if people want to connect with you because you are a, plo, plo, what is the word? Prolific tweeter, Twitterer. What's the, what's the right noun for that? Twitter, tweeterer? All right. Very online person. All right, you're a very online person. That's the um, the neutral way to say that. Yeah. yeah, I identify as a very online person. All right, hundred percent. Where could people find you online? Uh, so, I, so I am Dolby K everywhere. That's D A H L B Y K. All right. So you can find me on GitHub. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, and I haven't been on Facebook in five years, and it yes. feels great. Yes. I'm, I'm on like five weeks, and I feel amazing. Strongly yes. recommended. Yes, yes. So as part of the technology podcast, we recommend you get off Facebook. <laughs> well, all right. So, so, so let's, let's, let's touch on that. So, so the other thing that engineers need to do is to stop making things that are toxic to society. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, just recently... I saw some some uh, it, it was library software that sold to schools is starting to add a way for parents to ban specific categories of books for their kids. Oh my lord. Wow. And so wow. Like the way to solve that problem is to earn your kids trust yeah. and have conversations with them right. not to bludgeon them with a t- I mean cuz like there's always unintended consequences when you try to yeah. ban books as if, yeah. you know, just as a hypothetical maybe thing that the state shouldn't be 
aggressively doing if we're trying to attract uh, diverse voices, hypothetically. Right. Um, but programmers are working on that feature. There's someone mm-hmm. whose boss came to them and said, hey, we need a way for mom to be able to block books mm-hmm. about religion. Right. Ooh, but which religions? Yeah. Oh, well, let's offer different religions that we could allow you to block. Like, mm-hmm. there are lots of ways that this turns into a very, very mm-hmm. not good place. Yeah. And someone's writing that code. Someone yeah. wrote the code for Volkswagen to evade emissions detection yep. regulation. Right. Someone wrote code that said, hey, we're going to use all the access that Facebook has to scrape every tiny bit of data that we can about these people mm-hmm. and sell it to unscrupulous folks. Yep. And so on and so on and so forth. And so, I mean, everyone needs to make a value judgment on these kinds of things. But, yeah. like, programmers need to just say no. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be a party to this yeah. because it's not a thing that I yeah. believe that we should do. And there's been a whole lot of that happening at Facebook yeah. harassment and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. just like, eh. Yeah. It's good for the numbers. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. Not a fan. So use your power for good and not for evil. It's not part of a lot of tech education. Yeah. Ethics, Ethics. morality, all yeah. those kinds of things are not yeah. um you know, it's 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 the the one course that you might have to take but no one really takes seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't know. More folks in the humanities at these companies? I don't know. Yeah. Might have helped. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great final thought, you know, to really think about. We talked about all these positive ways, but also don't lose your moral compass while you're busy jamming code into a keyboard. Really think about the downstream implications and impacts of the work that we're doing. And that applies not just to technologists or software developers, but to really anybody in our workforce. Because to your point, our actions have very real kind of that butterfly effect kind of impact on the rest of our state. I'm adding that to my list of what I learned today. Yes, absolutely. Economists call that externalities. Yeah. You know, it's very vivid when there's a pipe dumping sewage into the river. Yes. Mm -hmm. What's what sewage is the work that you're producing that's maybe not as visible? Yeah. Something to think on. That. Oh, I love that as a final thought. Yeah. Well, in the idea that knowing that what you do. There, there's a lot more responsibility that you mm-hmm. think there is. Mm-hmm. I have seen multiple people who will write really toxic things on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And then when they get called on it, they're oh, like, yeah. I don't know why this is such a big deal. This is Facebook. This doesn't matter. Oh, I'm like, dude, it yeah. kind of does. It's yeah. having a much bigger impact than you think it is. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a futile battle for me, but I'm constantly like, I get annoyed yeah. whenever somebody puts something out there that isn't true. And they're yeah. like, well, it doesn't matter. It's the principle of the thing. And I'm like, no, it matters. Truth matters. So, yeah, yeah fighting silly little battles for decency yeah. and idealism is something we should do more in tech and that I try to do in my own little way. I feel like we should probably conclude there. <laughs> We've been going for too long. <laughs> well, we like you, you know what you got into. Like, I did. Like, I did. So I, like, I could tell that you were trying to wrap it up and no. I'm just like, I've got one no, more thought. Keith's going to keep going. No, and that's, that is honestly why I wanted to have you on Keith, because you do, you have a lot of just really interesting perspectives and experiences and you study, you and don't just show up with correct, opinions, which is, I know. And, and I, I love it when I get to prove Keith wrong. So that is my my one of my intentions for 2022. That's a good <laughs> resolution. You know what I love about Keith? And I recommend everyone who starts following Keith on social media to do this. Ask Keith questions about film scores. 
because yes, that is a random out of left field thing, but Keith is very I knowledgeable and we have great conversations about it. I have so it. many opinions about yes, this. Yes, yes. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, thank you for being on today, Keith. It's very much appreciated. Thanks so much to our guest, Keith Dalby, for coming on the show. Remember, you can find him everywhere at Dalby K. That's D-A-H-L-B-Y-K, especially on Twitter. If you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also visit our blog, nubo.co slash blog, to find key takeaways summarized and detailed. This podcast is produced and distributed by the LAS Media Group. For more information, go to lasmediagroup.com. Finally, we sure would love it if you'd consider a donation to Nuboco. Your contributions to our nonprofit help us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate. Innovate you later. Okay, boomerang. <laughs>